Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Singapore Noodles podcast. I am your host, Pamelia Chia, and every week I speak with a different guest who is keeping the Singaporean heritage alive in his or her own way. So this week, my guest is Denise Fletcher, a born and bred Singaporean of Portuguese descent on her maternal side and Scottish descent on her paternal side. Apart from having written cookbooks such as Mom's Not Cooking, she works as the executive chef at Quentin's Bar and Restaurant. Recently, she launched How to Cook Everything Singaporean, a comprehensive guide to Singaporean cuisine featuring over 1,000 recipes of familiar dishes from various ethnic groups. It is a massive undertaking and one that I feel is so necessary and important, so I invited Denise on the show to chat about the process of making this book. Hey Denise. Hi Pamelia. I think I first heard of you um, through your blog, Singapore Shiok, right? Ah, uh, yes. Could okay. you tell me a little bit about your growing up years? How was it like growing up as a Singaporean Eurasian? Um, okay, I, I'm a Kampong girl, first mm-hmm. off. So I grew up in Kampong, you know. Um, I was an only child. So it was like an all-female household, me, my mom, myself. And um, my mom worked long hours, so my grandma was my constant companion. And uh, food and cooking was very big in our house. And I remember that I always followed my grandma to the market, the wet market. So, um, and you know, wow, she was really in her element every time she stepped in the wet market. So I, I loved observing her, okay, the, the way she would go around, you know, looking for exactly what she wanted and she always knew exactly what she wanted, uh, you know. And, and because we had very um, limited means, you know, this was back in the 70s when I was a kid. So, you know, most people were struggling. And um, she was one fierce heckler. Nobody in the market could stand up to her. You know, she always made sure she got the best possible for whatever money that we had. And um, she always knew, like, like, you know, how something should look, how it should smell, the right texture, the, you know, the right freshness. So, yeah. so I, I learned a lot. I learned a lot from her and she's a huge influence on me, you know. She not only was um, inspiration for me, but also for our extended family, mm. our relatives, you know, all, all of us. She was like the kitchen maven in our, in our clan. So you grew up um, cooking with her? Uh, not so much cooking because, you know, when, when you have, you're surrounded by people who can cook mm. in, in a home. There's no push to learn, is there? Like, why? Why? Because my mom was a great cook. My grandma was a great cook. So I actually didn't really get into the kitchen to cook until I went to culinary school. And, uh, but I always had this, I don't know, intrinsic love for food, cooking, you know, being in the kitchen, being in the market, looking at ingredients. It's part of my DNA, I guess. When you were growing up as a Eurasian, did you feel uh-huh. very different from um, your peers, your friends? Did you see being Eurasian as something to be proud of? Back to my kampong where I grew up, uh, we were one of two Eurasian families. And it was really quite mixed also because I remember we had Punjabi neighbor, we had Arab neighbor, we had Chinese Pranaka neighbor and South Indian neighbor. So um, I never really had a sense of like I was different or unique or rare or Know, being proud of her. I, I just felt like a kampong girl and mm. because it was it was even mixed that no 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 one group dominated so I, I didn't have that kind of awareness I guess mm-hmm. yeah and uh, I loved being in that kampong because my grandma was very friendly and um, there was this very active very uh, spontaneous ongoing exchange you know like uh, there would be food, changing hands, recipes being exchanged. Not just like Hari Raya or Christmas, Pavali, but basically all, all, year, all year round. And mm-hmm. uh, I love being in that kampong also because we had great food. We had great <laughs> hawker food, street food there. 
uh, in Yunos, you know. And uh, I remember we, I loved eating out. I loved eating out, even though my, my grandma was a fantastic cook, because everything was so good. Mm. You know, there, there was fantastic mee pot, I remember, and cheng teng, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> laksa, and soto ayam. And it was a real treat. Like nowadays, I feel like eating out can be something of a crash. Like you're not sure whether you're gonna like. Uh, I, I feel sadly like uh, hawker food yeah. is not. It's it's past its golden age, I guess in Singapore. I know. I I've heard so yeah. so many of the older generations say that, and I feel like it's true because a lot of the foods that I come across nowadays they don't taste like the way they did in my youth. You know. <laughs> yes, I agree. I agree. It's it's sad. Goal, right? Because um, uh, cost of living have have uh, risen, and uh-huh. you know, it's inevitable that people have to cut corners or to use yeah. less ingredients. Rental, rental is a killer. That's, mm. that's part of the reason. And and uh, people, the younger generation, don't want to go into it. It's a hard life. It's tough. Yeah. And you I know? also think that people have become less discerning now. I have to agree because people of my generation, we didn't really grow up with a really strong, um, like a really good frame of reference, right? Because when we were growing up, maybe the corners were already starting to be cut. Yes, yes. I, I think this was beginning to happen maybe in the nineteen eighties. Like, I think uh, I believe you are in your late twenties. I'm uh, twenty nine this year. Oh, okay. Yeah, so uh, I'm I'm in my early fifties, fifty three, mm-hmm. and I think I I'm that generation where I've straddled two two boats, three boats. Like I know something of the old way, and no, I'm also in the new new world as it yeah. were. And uh, I think a lot of younger Singaporeans today are not even sure like what the proper garnishes for any given dish are. Like when they eat, you know, at a hawker stall, they don't know what is supposed to be at it. Like misiam, you know, you must have your your puchai, your chives, your yep. your, your you know, bean curd, your lime, your sambal, and lontong. You need to have surrounding and whatever. And a lot, you're you're right. A lot of corners are being cut, and the younger generation they're not even aware of it. I feel sad for them. I feel pained for them because they don't know what they are missing out on. I know, and I, I just feel like the odd one out, you know. Sometimes I feel like I'm standing in the face of like this inevitable type, um, uh-huh. especially, especially with what I'm doing with Singapore noodles. It feels like, uh-huh. sometimes it feels like I'm one of the few who really still care about her yeah. food from my generation, and it's very lonely uh-huh. sometimes, you know. Yes, yes, yes. My friends think I'm too picky, you know, because, I mean, I have uh, younger friends also, I have friends my age, and the shocking thing is that even friends of my age, like those who do not come from a uh, strong culinary background, I don't mean like as in uh, you know being trained or being a professional as as we are, but coming from that kind of stock where food was a big deal in the family, where you know uh, the cooks were meticulous about how a dish should be and what's the proper way to serve it and garnish it and eat it, and basically they they have gotten used to a slipshod. Yes. Representation and, and that's become their norm. And really it's something that I bemoan a lot and sometimes my friends say, Oh for goodness sake, just eat it, you know, like Yeah. Like yeah, they're used to it. I'm not. You're right, it's lonely. Yeah, but I think both of us have to make concessions in that times have changed and true. um people have become busier. Do you think it's true that people are busier now than before? That, that is strange. Um, it's like a paradox because we have so much more conveniences, you know, convenience yes. foods, machinery, equipment that is supposed to cut down on, on, on hours spent on, you know, doing things like this. And yet we're so busy, you know. Yeah. We, we, we have so many like convenience foods, we just rip open packs. We, we didn't have to do things the way our grandparents did, you know, like from scratch, peeling everything, cutting everything, chopping it. And yeah. yet, where do our hours go? Right. You know, we're busier. Yeah, so Weird, do, you, right? do you think it's an excuse, you know, like because people are intimidated by local food, that's why they say, oh, I'm too busy to cook this laborious thing? Um... 
I'm not sure if, it, if it's an excuse. It could be a, a, a lack of awareness. It could be poor time management. It could be too many distractions, you know, mm. in our modern lives, like the internet, Netflix, work. You mm. know? Yeah. yeah, or just priorities are different now, right? Yeah, time management and priorities. Mm. I know that your yeah. first cookbook, um, uh-huh. Mom's Not Cooking, is actually oh, okay. related to this demographic of people, right? People who are oh. maybe busy, time-strapped, um, yes. not confident. Students, in- yeah, newbies. Uh, you know Edmund, I'm sure, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. So um, he felt like there was a gap in the market for such a book. Mm-hmm. That uh, you know, for for he was actually uh, focusing on students and like newlyweds mm-hmm. and people who had to leave Singapore and who were hankering for a taste of home. Yeah. So uh, and you know you know like you're in Melbourne mm-hmm. and uh, but I think Melbourne is probably pretty pretty with it where Asian Asian food and especially Southeast Asian food mm-hmm. yeah. is concerned. So that I'm sure uh, you're not really short of ingredients that you need. Mm. But uh, a lot of overseas Singaporeans cannot get the proper ingredients you know, uh, to, to, to make things, I mean, to, to, to cook our food, Singaporean food. So the book uh, stresses a lot on substituting. I know that a lot of chefs find it, including myself, feel... feel- a lot of pain to have to kind of dumb down recipes, right? Yeah, but like you said, sometimes we have to move forward. You know, mm. we have to recognize and accept that things have changed. Yeah, you know, and uh, sometimes, yeah, a certain demographic may actually really need help, like young people, like kitchen newbies, like people who have just gotten married, never cooked before, like uh, you know. Uh, uh, college college students have to take care of themselves and their moms worry about them and yeah sometimes they get so homesick you know, like, oh gosh all I want is is, is a bowl of kwecha or, or mie goreng or a uh, curry puff whatever so yeah the book is to help people like this and personally for myself I also wanted something that was very approachable uh, like for my own children, I have three sons, mm. okay? and uh, when I when I wrote that book, they were much younger. Uh, only one of them was an adult; two of them were still teens. And I felt that, you know, maybe this is a stereotype. Like, like the the kitchen is a woman's place, and you know, it's the duty of the daughter, if you have daughters, to like take the torch from the mom. Yeah, <laughs> to carry on. I'm sure you you identify what I'm saying. And uh, okay, like my grandma, she passed the torch to my mom. My mom passed it to me. Mm-hmm. And now I have no daughter. Mm-hmm. I have three sons. So I wanted to, as you say, dumb down. Yeah, in a way, there's no getting away from it. Dumb it down and make it approachable. You know, make it fun. So it's a very light tone, you know, it's very like, okay, you don't have this, it's okay, you can try that, you know. You yeah. don't have this ingredient, there's something else, like, you know, there's, 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 just because you can't find one ingredient or two ingredients doesn't mean that you can't cook the dish. I love what you're saying because uh-huh. I think a lot of people, when it comes to heritage cooking, they see it as an all or nothing kind of thing. Mm, exactly, yes. Mm. So, but when you have that all or nothing uh, mindset or attitude, you are in danger of losing it altogether. Exactly. Because you're saying, oh, why should I even try? I don't have this, I don't have that. But you know, you try. Yeah, exactly. I think that's, a, that's the crux to keeping Singaporean food heritage alive. It's to make mm-hmm. it relevant to your circumstance yes. and to approach it where you're comfortable you know, with. So, you know, previously you said that Edmund said that there was a gap, a gap in the market for such a book. But I find that curious because a lot of Singaporean cookbooks, in my opinion, tend to be uh, kind of dumbed down for the mass market. You and I, um, we have this this background, mm. this heritage of, of coming from families where food is really important. And uh, it's like, you know, we're torchbearers. We see ourselves as having a duty to, 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 you know, make sure that it doesn't die out with us, that it goes on one way or another to the next generation. So we are, you know, we're into the nitty-gritties. We know, like, it should be this, 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 and that, that, that. Uh, 
the, the Singapore the Singaporean cookbooks that, that you're mentioning, um, I think I know, especially you know those bilingual types that like, <laughs> half of it is in English, <laughs> half of it is in Mandarin, right? <laughs> so I, I wouldn't go so far as to say dumb down. I think that uh, in essence, you know, they 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 uh, yeah they get the essence of what Singaporean food and cooking is about. But it, it's like the basics. Mm. You get the basic flavor, the basic um, you know uh, the basic idea. But maybe not so much nuance. Maybe yeah. not with all the embellishments that we might like to add to to bring it to another level. Mm. But uh, slightly different. Maybe along the same vein, but slightly different from mom's not cooking. Mm. Because uh, mom's not cooking, we are really, I mean, we were really thinking to make cooking not scary. Because a lot of people, especially young people, they are scared to get in the kitchen. They are scared to make mistakes. So mm. we want to tell them, don't be afraid. Come in, you know, it's fun. Have fun. And it's a good skill to learn. You know, it, it, uh, so yeah. It's not scary. Come, try. Even yeah. if you don't have half the ingredients, give it a go. I love that. You know, I think it's approaching your target audience with kind of a sense of compassion almost, right? Yeah, I guess. Yes, yes. Like uh, we want you to, to be able to take care of yourself. Yeah. To, yeah. to really approach it from a position of service rather than from a pedestal, right? Saying, oh, uh, this is the right way to do it. So you have to... Just yeah. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, words like authentic and proper. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> I just yes. agree with you. You know, when I when I first started Singapore noodles, you know, a lot of people asked me for really simple recipes and approachable. Mm. They always told me, you know, the recipes that you have are too chim for us. Mm, chim, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. And, and, you know, for the longest time, I felt a lot of resistance because there are so many uh, cheapened version of recipes out there. You know, in my growing up years, I really wanted to learn, like, the, the right way to do a certain dish. For example, a teochew chestnut braised chicken, you know. Mm-hmm. The traditional way to do it is to deep fry it before braising it. But so mm-hmm. many books leave this out, leave the deep frying out because it's scary for the home cook, right? And mm-hmm. so, you know, if... I didn't do further research. I would think that that's all to the dish, you know. You just bring mm-hmm. it like any chicken and you miss what you said, the nuance, right, of the recipe. Mm-hmm. And I think that is the main difference that separates Western cookbooks from what we have in Singapore, the bulk of the cookbooks that we have in Singapore, is that mm-hmm. for Western cookbooks, it's more like, okay, come into my kitchen, I'm going to handhold you, but I'm going to show you all the tips and tricks, mm-hmm. you know. Where's the find that with the bulk of local cookbooks, it's always, okay, I'm not going to handhold you so much, but I'll give you the easiest recipe so you, you will not run away. <laughs> yeah, we need to know the basics also. Mm. You know, we need to know the right way to do it, the, the proper, authentic, <laughs> for want of a better word, you know, the way that would make my grandmother not like turn in her grave, I like to say, you know. Um, mm. Yeah, but once once... It's important, but again, I I feel that because we are, you know, we are in danger of of losing Mm. an entire generation exactly to to you know life in the kitchen, Mm. you know, to 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 our culinary heritage. So we have to be gentle, you know. Yes. Once you get them in, then maybe you know, Mm. like like okay, like like my book, the how to cook everything Singaporean. It um. I did say that I left nothing up. Everything, everything I know, and and uh, my friend, my friend told me like, oh my god, I would never. My friend who's uh, also a food blogger, I would never undertake such a project because it's like you've downloaded your entire life and brain into it. And I didn't think of it in that way, but it occurred to me that wow, yeah, that's really on the nose because. I really felt like my blood, sweat, and tears went into it. You know, all the mm. remembering, talking to my mom, to my relatives, digging through piles and piles of notes, books, doing research, testing everything. Yeah, and uh, honestly, from my heart, my soul, <laughs> my family, three, four generations back, everything, everything I own is in the book. I held nothing back. Mm. And um, if I should die, 
you know, my life is snuffed out. <laughs> I feel like, okay, I've, I've, I've done something. It's there yeah. for my sons, for my daughters-in-law, okay, whoever they be. For all Singaporeans whom I love, okay. I love being Singaporean. I'm so proud to be a Singaporean. I hardly even actually think of myself as a Eurasian, first and foremost. Yeah. I feel Singaporean. I am so, I feel like, um, I remember Anthony Borden once said something to the effect of like, Singapore is one of the most delicious places on earth. Hmm. And I, I, well, that really touched, you know, pull the string here. And I feel like our culinary landscape, our heritage is probably like nowhere else and no other place or other country in the world. Because, you know, our rich history and, and uh, uh, all, all the influences, because, because of our geographical you know, placement, because of the spice trade, because there's so much history. So many people have come and gone, you know, like the crossroads, really, we are crossroads. So everything, it's like everything has culminated to what we are today. Yes. You know, that, that, uh, and it, it's not, it's not easy to come by. It, it took yeah. centuries to get where we are today, but people don't realize it. I totally yeah. agree. You know, I, I think <laughs> I love, I always loved local food, but I didn't realize how precious it was until I moved abroad, until I moved mm-hmm. to Melbourne, you know, when I talked to some of my Aussie friends about the traditions that we have back home, they will mm-hmm. tell me things like, oh, I feel so jealous that I didn't have the same rich heritage as you have. And I'm like, whoa, I didn't see it as kind of like an inheritance, you know, I didn't see exactly. it. Exactly. And then I move out to the countryside and I kind of interact with the people here. And I find out, I, I find that the food that we have back home is really so diverse and so different. Like here, it would just be like fish and chips, vanilla ice cream. Um, what else do they eat? Um, sausage rolls, things like that. It's like really uh, clear cut. Um, classic flavor combinations. Yes. If you think about food back home, it's so feisty, oh, you know. <laughs> so feisty, so like food that, yeah, you, you, uh, food that bites back, you know, food that, that stands up and shouts and, you know, like, I'm here, notice me, smell me, taste me, feel me, the textures, the colors, the flavors, the smells. It can be overwhelming sometimes, especially for, for foreigners, you know. Exactly. And it's, it's so plentiful, it's everywhere and it's so cheap compared to like, I, I think, you know, like, like in Melbourne or, or, you know, anywhere else in the world. I had a friend from Canada. She came down and she said, oh my God, I don't want to go home. How, how do you people manage to make food so good, so cheap and so available? Mm-hmm. You know, because she was amazed, like for $4, she could have a fantastic bowl of meatballs. Yeah. You know? and, and, and yeah. And, um, gosh, we have a culinary diversity. Yeah. That they can only dream of. They can't even imagine. What's breakfast to them? Toast, <laughs> scrambled eggs. Okay, the, the British, a full Monty, you know, the, 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 the full English breakfast. Okay, that's interesting. But that's basically it. Croissant, toast, jam, porridge. For us, what is breakfast? What is breakfast for a Singaporean? Prata, dosa, uh, economic bihun. Kaya toast. Kaya toast. Tau hui. You, you tell, yeah, chai tau kue. <laughs> Mi pok, God, I could go on and on. Mm. There's no end to it, really. I cannot see the end of it, you know. So, did you always dream of writing a cookbook that represented all things Singaporean? No, never, no. never, never. Uh, I don't know because it's, it's a huge project, and actually. I started this in 2012. Oh, wow. 2012. And it took eight years to come to fruition. Yeah. There were, you know, there were setbacks, stumbling. We couldn't get funding. And finally, Edmund said, okay, you know what, I didn't think I could do it mm. because of, you know, uh, the time it would take, the effort it would take. 
at one point, my husband was posted overseas to the Maldives and he was there for eight years. And then I became a full, full-time stable mom because my kids were still young. And then Edmund told me, look, you have what no other chef, you know, or author has right now. You have time, right? You have time. Mm. So do it. So I thought, yeah, that's right. Okay, I'm going to do it. So I did it. I used that time, being a stay-at-home mom, to do it. I, I think it's a huge labor of love. And I think there is no other cookbook like it on the market in that it is such a thick tome. It's like definitive. It covers and spans all cuisines and cultures in Singapore. And you yourself coming from such a rich background and having experienced that kind of kampong living where you mm-hmm. could taste the diverse range of dishes that, that Singapore had to offer back then, you know. I think mm-hmm. a person like you is best suited to write this book. A person like me could never write it because I'm too young, you know. <laughs> no, I, I mean, the kind oh, of... Okay, but I think you're way ahead of the curve. Like, uh, <laughs> for your contemporaries, I mean. Yeah, but I mean, someone like me could never have written it because the Singapore now, you know, mm. people have said that Singapore now in terms of food has kind of lost its colour, right? Like you mentioned before as well. So yeah. I think it's wonderful that someone of your era has written such a wonderful, you know, resource for everyone. And I mm-hmm. really can't wait to get my hands on it and to like... Oh, you haven't seen it yet. I haven't seen it in person. It's with my dad now. <laughs> I see. Oh, okay. I mean, I've seen the illustrations. I've seen the design. And I love it. The moment I saw the cover, I was like, this looks like the calendar that my grandmother had. Yeah, yeah. It was hanging. I had I had calendars like hanging in my childhood kitchen. You know? Every day you tear off a page. You know, so yeah. It's, yeah, it's nostalgia. And um, the book, it's not just... Like you said, a tome or you know, an, uh, an encyclopedic compilation of just recipes. Really, I feel like, okay, uh, one way it's different from any other Singaporean cookbook is that parts of my life is in it. Parts, recollections of a Singapore that no longer exists, as you say. Not only the food, but uh, kampong life. You know? that, that, that Singapore culture, that national culture and identity. Mm. is there like their backstories there are notes you know, there are mm. intros yeah so yeah it's a slice of singaporeana also mm. so what was the hardest part of writing such a cookbook for you information and because my grandmother is no longer around and even my mom she's 81 and her memory is failing a little mm. bit so there were recipes, for instance, like, I don't know if you've heard of the Romania fruit. Yes, Bois Romania. You have? Yeah. Oh, okay. Is that what they use Sorry? for matcha? That's what they use for matcha. Yes, yes, yes. So it's, um, I don't know, are you, are you Pranakan? No, no. I'm just no, a no. Okay. Chinese. <laughs> Chinese. <laughs> okay, so uh, I don't know if the... Pranakan Chinese uh, have have this dish in the repertoire, Romania, pickle acha. But the Eurasians, yeah, we make it into pickle. But nobody does it anymore because where do you even find the fruit? Yeah. Okay, I think the closest thing that I've seen to it is the, I think it's called the maprang fruit. It's a Thai fruit. My mom couldn't really remember, like, uh, you know, the exact recipe. My grandma used to cook it, but she's gone. And um, no one else in my family, in my clan, you know, my mom's friends are contemporaries. No one else knew about it. So I had to do research. That's just an example. Do you know what young mayberry is? No. (laughs) Okay. It's a red fuzzy fruit. Okay, I think in Singapore, it is called uh, arbutus. Do you know arbutus? No, I've never heard of it before. It's a fuzzy red fruit. It looks a bit like a raspberry. Mm. And when I was in primary school, there was this red drink, red drink, uh, with these fuzzy red fruits floating in it. Mm. 
tangy, sweet, very refreshing. So people couldn't remember things like this. Yeah. You know, uh, I couldn't get recipes for things like this. I, my grandmother's not around. No one else knew. The internet didn't know what I was talking about. I had to go digging through my mom's old handwritten recipes, all her magazine cutouts from like three, four, five decades ago. You know, um, and uh, I had to do so much of research. I had to talk to my mom and coax it out, you know, of her memory. And sometimes I had to do my own approximation to come as close as possible. Mm. Maybe, you know. So that, that, that was a challenge. How did you curate the recipes? I mean, for example, this fruit that you were talking about, um, I don't think it's sold in wet markets anymore. So why did you feel like it was important to have this recipe out in the book? Because um, I have seen it, maybe in the, not in the last five or ten years, but I did see it in hawker stalls. There's another drink from old Singapore, pineapple. It's pineapple chunks in a yellow, yellow syrup. Mm. And uh, this is something from my childhood also. Yeah. I think maybe if you go to the older neighborhoods in Singapore, you might find things like this. Mm-hmm. But uh, by and large, no. So, I don't know. These things, these are a part of my childhood. It's a part of our history. You know, mm-hmm. um, not just indulging myself, but I feel like, oh my gosh, people should know. Singaporeans should know. This is, you know, this is um, our history. This is what we came from. And there's a saying like, if you don't know where you came from, you don't know where you're going. Yeah, I think it's a struggle for a cookbook writer, you know. Um, so previously, I published this book with Epigram called Wet Market to Table. And mm-hmm, I yes, think I've my, seen it. Yeah. It's my, a beautiful my, book. <laughs> thank you. Um, I think my struggle with that is how, how, you know, we always talk about accessibility and we, we are talking about not being a sellout and being true to ourselves, you know, true to these mm-hmm. memories that we've grown up with. So I think for the cookbook, one of my biggest struggle was how, how do you balance the two, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, should you still present a recipe if it is kind of irrelevant to people mm-hmm. um, and if people find it hard to find the ingredient? So mm-hmm. one such ingredient in the book is Roselle. Okay. Yeah. Discussed. Yes, yes. You know, when I was younger, my mom always boiled that in water and she would call mm-hmm. that Ribena. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> it looks like Ribena, right? It's mm-hmm. a, it looks and tastes a bit like Ribena. Yeah, because yeah. of uh, that slight tartness. Mm-hmm. And yet, like, you know, nowadays fewer markets choose to sell it because there is mm-hmm. just no demand. So. Mm-hmm. I was struggling with whether or not I should include that in the book because people have to go like maybe three, four markets just to find this thing that's only available three days of the week maybe um, mm-hmm. or just leave it out, you know? So I, I think mm-hmm. it was a big struggle. I guess I, I, I feel like these are our jewels, you know, our treasure as Singaporeans. Uh, there's another thing that I really love, <laughs> apart from our food, and that's English. So I feel like Singlish should never, never be allowed to die out. And our food. And I wanted to really showcase everything that we have, everything yeah. that I know, you know, like not only for us Singaporeans, oh my God. primarily for us, but also to show the world what we have. I feel so... <laughs> So stirred, you know, just listening to you because a while ago I was having a chat with my friend about this um, because mm-hmm. since I moved abroad, you know, you sound so different from everyone else here. Everyone here speaks perfect, like formal English, right? Mm-hmm. And I, I, I just felt very inadequate when I first moved here. I felt like, okay, because when I was in secondary school, one of my teachers, English teacher, told us, told mm-hmm. the whole class something like, you are using a borrowed language. And for some mm-hmm. reason, that stuck in my head forever. And, and the moment I came here or the moment I interacted with Caucasians, I just felt, you know, you are using a language that is borrowed, that is not your own, you know. Mm-hmm. And I just felt like, can I truly be comfortable with letting Singlish slip? You know, when, when I speak 
<laughs> with the Aussies, you know? Because, you know, okay, as you know, in Singapore, we have two forms of English. We have like formal English and we have, mm-hmm. and we have like Singlish, right? Mm-hmm. So I was just feeling so ashamed of Singlish, you know, when I was uh-huh. um, in Australia, you know, every time I talk with them, you know, it's presentation English, very formal. Mm-hmm. And then once in a while, <laughs> once in a while, Singlish would slip up. And I would be like, uh-huh. oh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then I was speaking with, with my friend and my friend was like, Pam, why do you feel that way? Because, you know, why is it that we can, we, we, we have to accept Australians for their slang. And they can't accept <laughs> us for ours. Yeah. But you have to, you're made to feel so ashamed of your own. Mm. Um, but really, what, what do you think they would make us feel ashamed? Or is that something that we actually carry in us and we, we are assuming and projecting you know, well, I, I upon think we them? Are, we are especially self-conscious. I remember yeah. um, I was working in one of the kitchens here and we, it was quite a diverse kitchen. Uh, we had an American in the kitchen. And so like, um, I, would, I was very close to this American friend and he would chat with me and sometimes I would say things like, oh, it's my off day today. And he would be like, mm-hmm. isn't it day off? Like, off. <laughs> <laughs> or like yeah. uh, another day, I think we were talking about Michael Jackson and I was just like, oh, you know, I just watched this documentary about him being a pedophile. Uh, and he was like, what did you just say? Did you just say pedophile? It's pedophile. Pedophile. <laughs> Yeah, it's not just like the la and the law and the meh and the alamak, why you like that? You know what I mean? It's like this, you know, subtleties like these, subtleties of speech, like day off, off day, pedophile, pedophile, you know? Mm. And, but you know what? Be loud and proud. It's what you are. You're Singaporean. This is something that you will not find anywhere else in the world. It marks us, you know? Yeah. Wear it with pride. When, when an Australian or an American, they speak to us, they don't they don't like, uh, you know, make any effort to, to make sure that we understand them. Like, you know, I think there's this tendency for Singaporeans when we speak to uh, Caucasian, mm-hmm. you know, we switch to either British, the British accent or closer to an American accent, but we don't really feel free to speak as we are, you know, mm. as who we are. When they speak to us, they're just themselves. So... <laughs> Why can't we do the same? Yeah, you know? I think most Singaporeans think of it as code switching, as you know, mm. so mm. that they can understand us better. But I but, think yeah. also the Singapore government has always tried to make us feel ashamed of Singlish. Yeah. Right? Stigmatizing, stigmatizing. Yeah, because I, I remember like many years ago, there was this whole speak good English movement, right? Mm, yeah. <laughs> In my growing up years. And so, you know, I, I think even in my family, because my, my aunt, she's actually very westernized. So mm-hmm. she would correct us whenever we spoke Singlish. So, for example, mm-hmm. we would say, um, la or man. She would be like, no, don't say that. You know, that kind of thing. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. I, got, I got that from my mom because she's a confident girl. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I love what you're saying. And I, I like right now, I just feel like I'm bracing so much more of my Singaporean identity more than ever before. And, yes, I agree. And, I love what you're doing oh, on Singapore noodles, yeah. Yeah, and I, I think it's so important for more of us to feel proud of all, all parts of our heritage. Mm-hmm. How do you define Singaporean? Because, you know, we are a country of immigrants, right? Mm-hmm. There are people mm-hmm. coming from everywhere. So how do you really define what, what is Singaporean? Uh, okay. That's a tricky question because when you speak of Singaporeans, you're not talking about one ethnic origin. You yeah. know, like for instance, if you're talking about Italians, Italian food, you have pasta, you have, like, I don't know, osobuko or whatever, and, and Japanese, sashimi, you know, uh, these are non-negotiable. Okay? Mm-hmm. The whole world knows that these are Italian. This is Japanese, but for Singaporeans, we have such a diverse group of people coming from so many different parts of the world, you know. And um, really, how how do you say this is Singaporean without Malaysia coming after you, you know, <laughs> or Indonesia rendang is mine, or 
you know. <laughs> I'm sure you see that all over the media. Yeah. Oh boy, cultural appropriation. So I feel that uh, we need to maybe take a bit of license, give ourselves a bit of license because of our unique position yeah. uh, in the world and say that, okay, this was brought to our shores. How? By immigrants? How? By our previous colonial masters? How? By merchants who came and went, you know, and left something of themselves here because of the spice trade? Um, whatever was brought here, whatever was inherently here, whatever has stayed, whatever has uh, evolved, okay, whatever has imprinted itself on our national consciousness, our hearts, you know, whatever we keep putting in our bellies and we love and we embrace, I will call that Singapore. And given that my generation is growing up in a very, very different Singapore than you used to grow up, how do you feel that we can retain our culinary soul and direction? Because I remember reading on your blog that you said that Singaporeans are in danger of losing their heritage, right? So Yes, yes. How do you think we can move forward in that sense? I think that it starts in the home. Because, okay, uh, the thing that surprises me, we talk about the younger generation, but the thing that really surprised me is that um, my contemporaries, quite a few of my contemporaries themselves, are not familiar with, with dishes like... Um, Soto ayam, for instance. I have a friend my age who did not know what soto ayam was. I had to bring her to the stall and, and show it there and she was like, oh, wow, that's really good, you know. And I, I was quite shocked. And uh, I have friends who don't know what things like, you know, beef rawang. Yes. They don't know things like this. They don't know what is bok chai. And I would expect this from the younger generation. But... It's a bit disturbing, you know. It's sad, and it's my contemporaries. And um, yeah, I was thinking, how is our younger generation, you know, to know how are they to fully appreciate what we are and what we have when the parents, okay, who are supposed to be the torchbearer, like I said, they themselves they have gaps in their knowledge, so. How do you pass on what you do not have? And in such a scenario, can we blame the younger generation for choosing uh, Hokkaido pancakes, for example, over <laughs> apom bokwa? Yeah. You know? Yeah, apom bokwa. They don't know what is apom bokwa. My friends don't know what is apom bokwa. And yeah, how can you blame them? So how, how do you remedy, if you wish to remedy a situation like this? Start from home, from your kitchen, you know. Cook, cook with your kids. Mm. Eat with your kids. You know, all these dishes. Start with my book. Yeah, open my book and cook. Yeah. <laughs> from page one. Make it like a year-long resolution, you know. Don't assume that the uncle at the hawker center will be there you know, forever. Doing, yeah, will be there forever also. Or that, you know, his son may want to take over because in most cases, they will not. Mm. It will die out also eventually. I was putting out content on Singapore noodles and I just felt like a lot of people were responding with things like, oh, that looks so good, that's so yummy, but no one will actually go into the kitchen kitchen and, and try it. it. It's all like food porn, you know? People feel like... I, I mean, it's just very consumptive, right? You're just... Um, yeah. They, they, look, they look at your post, you know, and... and whatever you put out there, and, oh yeah, they drool over it, and then they go to the hawker center and get a, a, I don't know. Yeah, and also with, with cookbooks, right? A lot of people, like I feel that when you sell physical copies of things like books, people would buy it, but they might not cook from it. Cook from it, yes. <laughs> yes, yes. Right? It just makes them feel like they're doing something for their heritage by owning the book. But you know. hopefully somebody in the, you know, in the house, somebody will pick it up and carry on from there. I don't yeah. know. Sometimes you just have to put it out there. You just have to put yourself out there. You just have to plant a seed and hope that somebody will water it and somebody will nurture it. Um, 
You know, out of a hundred, if ten do it, it's something. It's a step in the right direction. Yeah. I think a lot of my um, friends told me that too. They were like, you know, Pam, you have to think about it in tiny nudges, you know, like mm. it's not going to be this huge revolution or like a yeah. huge movement where all of a sudden everyone is cooking. It's because, I mean, everyone is just so divorced from their food. How can you expect people to go from like zero to like to, being yeah. completely comfortable in, in, in the kitchen, right? Times have changed. Life has changed like uh one or two generations back, Singaporeans, people generally cook more at home because uh, you know, affluence wasn't there. People had budgets, people had big, bigger families to feed. So cooking at home was a necessity. But today, you know, affluence, smaller families. So, and yeah, why? Some people say, why? Why, why tire myself? I'm tired from work. Why dirty my kitchen? You know? mm. Yeah. <sighs> And especially, I think, um, I think one of the biggest hindrances in Singapore, in, in, in us pre preserving our Singaporean heritage, is the lack of documented recipes, which is why I think your cookbook is such a good resource. Also, the fact that a lot of family recipes tend to be shrouded in secrecy, like people are yeah. like, oh, I don't want to share this with you. Um, yeah. I don't understand that. I, just <laughs> I mean, it's a good thing. Why let it die with you? Right? Yes, yes. The Eurasians and the Donyas, they are notorious for this. Even if they give you a recipe, believe me, it's not it's not the one that they cook in their own kitchen. <laughs> but I swear, I swear. <laughs> I've given everything. Yeah, I would like to talk about something that you mentioned in your blog, which was the erasure and marginalization of Eurasian culture. Can you mm -hmm. tell me a little bit about that? I think this is something that is not unique to being Eurasian in Singapore. Mm. I think that um, this is very universal. And I'm sure, you know, my fellow Singaporeans, the other minorities like um, the Punjabis, the Armenians, uh, the uh, Indians, uh, I'm sure that they will agree with me. But having said that, my... I guess my mindset has changed. Like, uh, I know I'm not the first person, you know, to, to make noise about uh, minority issues or marginalization or lack of representation. And I, I, I'm not the first, I won't be the last. And I really think that this is something that can never really change so long as you have, you know, like... Um, 85%, 15% kind of equation. Like, uh, it's hard for the majority to imagine, you know, what life is like, to imagine the perspective of someone from the minority camp and vice versa. I prefer to just focus on the positives, on the, you know, what, what we have as Singaporeans, whether we are from the minority group, or from you know, the majority, like even the minorities can, can contribute so much in a culinary sense to our culinary landscape. We have interesting dishes, you know, delicious flavors, uh, nuances of, of, you know, spices and uh, cooking techniques that the other groups do not know about. Mm. So I prefer to focus on this and that's, you know, uh, my cookbook serves that function also. Basically, I, I also hope that it's a form of representation, uh, you know, a voice for the groups that are lesser known in Singapore, especially in a culinary sense. Like, I love that. You know, we have Armenians in Singapore, you know, we have Punjabis in Singapore. Yeah. And this is what they eat, you know, and their food is really interesting. Come, take a look, you know. So I want to be... In a sense, that voice in my own small way, and I'm hoping that this is, you know, at least a small step in that direction. Oh, I love it. You know, I I think before starting Singapore Noodles, I was kind of blind to the the true diversity that we have in Singapore. You know, we always talk about having just um, four races, right? Chinese, mm, Malay, mm. Indian, and then others. But in mm -hmm. others, you have so much diversity. So right? many. Within that tiny group, oh my gosh, it's the Gujaratis, the Parsis, the Arabs, 
the, the even the Arabs there, Yemeni Arabs there are, you know, from in Singapore mostly it's the Yemeni Arabs. But they come from, you know, such a broad suite from the Middle East. And and like I said, these these are people who were previously voiceless. Mm. You know, but so interesting. There are many people that Singaporeans don't they still they still don't really know how rich our culture is. How diverse. So, yeah, I'm happy, uh, like I said, to have been able to do that. And I hope that my readers uh, take this opportunity to discover what's in their backyard you know, okay. through their cooking pot. <laughs> okay, and if there is one recipe in your book that you would recommend mm-hmm. for someone who is an absolute beginner, what recipe would that be? Absolute beginner. Okay. Uh, I love baking. <laughs> okay, actually. It's my first love. Uh, and I would recommend my scone recipe. Your scone recipe? Scone recipe, yeah. I know it's not typically Singaporean, but like I said, you know, we need to give ourselves some license. Uh, it's our inheritance from our previous colonial masters. Yes. But from that one recipe, okay, you can take it in so many different directions. You can do so many things with it. So mm. it's it's really easy. It has like four ingredients. Yeah. Okay. And and you can come up with like uh, cinnamon rolls with it, raisin scones with it, uh, meat buns with it. Um, you could even pie crust with it. Thicken your stews, right? With it, you can. Yeah, you can use it like a, a sort of like bermani. You can top it. You can you can make dumplings out of it. So yeah, that's it. That I love that recipe. I've been obsessed with scones since I was twelve years old. <laughs> and I when I made my first batch of bricks, scone bricks, but uh, I never gave up. I wasn't discouraged by the bricks <laughs> that came out of the oven. And uh, yeah, it's probably one of my favorite recipes. Yeah, fantastic. Thanks for speaking with me, Denise. I've got another Eurasian friend now. (laughs) Oh, yes. Yes, you do. (laughs) Thank you so much. I had a wonderful time. Uh, It's amazing talking to you. Yes, I really feel like we're culinary kindred spirits. Kitchen sister. Thanks so much for your time. So that wraps up another episode of the Singapore Noodles podcast. To stay updated, you can check out the website sgpnoodles.com or follow us on sgpnoodles on Instagram. Also, Christmas is coming and if you're still looking for Christmas gifts, then do check out our planner for the new year, which is a guide to learning about festivals that we celebrate in Singapore and it encourages you to cook traditional food through the year. Every purchase of the planner goes to making Singapore Noodles a more sustainable platform and it allows for the time and the resources that go into the documentation of recipes and stories. As always, thank you all for the support and the love that you have shown me and Singapore Noodles and I hope that this platform has inspired you to keep Singaporean food heritage alive in your own way.